This is Tending Seeds, and I'm your host, Sarah, talking to you about homesteading, gardening, and herbalism. I hope the month of May has been treating you well. Things here are looking pretty great. It is finally warm enough that we have some seeds started and sprouting, and we were also invited to vend at a local market for a spring event last week, and that was really fun to be out in the community. Our farmer's market starts up at the end of the month, and we're looking forward to being there every Saturday as well. Today's interview features two awesome guests who I'm really excited to introduce you to. Stephanie Thoreau is a certified master food preserver and master gardener volunteer from Minneapolis, Minnesota. She's a homesteader and also the author of best-selling cookbooks such as Can It and Ferment It and Weck Small Batch Preserving. You can find her on the Minnesota from Scratch blog or on Instagram under the same name. Stephanie hopes her experience with homesteading will help others reach more of their goals. When you don't find her in the kitchen preserving, you can find her out in the garden with her hens, teaching food preservation classes, or at the lake with her family and friends. Michelle Brunn homesteads in suburban Minnesota. She's a local food advocate, master gardener volunteer, writer, garden educator, and farmer's market manager. She's the founder of ForksInTheDirt.com, an information hub for garden and farm-to-table living, and her passion is helping folks to really dig their food. She can also be found at Forks in the Dirt on Instagram. When not in the garden, Michelle enjoys spending time with her backyard flock, family, and friends, while also immersing herself in nature, usually with a foraging basket in tow. Their book, Small Scale Homesteading, covers topics such as gardening tips and tricks, talking about soil health, composting, as well as all things preservation, canning and curing, how to keep your vegetables and lasting all year round. They also cover raising chickens, maple sugaring, and other DIY products and recipes with healthy alternatives to everyday cleaning products, lotions, and soaps. I was so excited to have Michelle and Stephanie on the show, and I really hope you enjoy this fun interview with them. So Michelle and Stephanie, thank you so much for coming on the show today. And of course, you know, a little, I did a little intro about you guys, but I also like to give everyone a chance to introduce themselves in your own words. So if you wouldn't mind doing that and maybe also share how long you've each been homesteading and kind of what pulled you onto this path in the first place, because you both have unique stories, I think. Okay. Well, I'm Stephanie Thoreau. Um, I am a cookbook author. I write about food preservation mostly. And then this is the first book I've written of this sort with Michelle, Small Scale Homesteading. Um, I'm a master food preserver and a Hennepin County Master Gardener, and I live in the outer first ring of Minneapolis. And so I grew up in Minneapolis and um, I didn't begin this like homesteading journey. Like I'm going to be a homesteader. It just began with um, canning almost 20 years ago. And I just wanted to learn how. Um, and then it became like, I'm obsessed with canning. <laughs> so then I started canning everything. And so then when we bought our own house, um, it just kind of grew from there. Every year we did a little bit more. We put in another garden bed and, and so still, we're still expanding every year. So then you know, with the birth of our daughter, we got more into it even and um, just kind of grew organically. So it wasn't like a big life decision to switch over. It's just um, kind of, yeah, one thing after the other. Yeah. Yeah. And I like, I always been like a tree hugger, plant lover kind of gal. Like I was, I know Sarah, you're very into the herbalism stuff. And I was like one of those like nerdy teenagers that was like the only youngest person at the herbalist guild meetings, um, in St. Paul, Minneapolis in our chapter there, like my neighbor would bring me 
<laughs> I was like, oh boy. That's awesome. Um, and then, and then I kind of like moved away from it. I did the whole like, you know, career thing for a while in marketing and PR. And then um, I left that kind of abruptly and then decided to stay home with my kids. And then one thing led to another. And we really started growing a lot of food pretty quickly um, because I'd always been a gardener. I'd worked as a gardener, landscape um, designer in garden centers and all that kind of stuff. And um yeah, so I just kind of jumped in, I think, with both feet when I had the time again. And then when you have kids, you just want them to have the best food possible. And so I think that that was a huge driver for both Stephanie and I, really, um, on the journey. So um, I think, you know, I've always been growing stuff. I lived on a farm in Sweden for a couple years, like 20 some years ago. And so, you know, we had chickens and stuff there that was before the career. Right. And then like back and forth and jumped around. Um, but I would say probably nine, 10 years of doing this really, um, purposefully other than just growing food to have fun with it. Um, yeah. And that, I think that's when I really started working on getting to know farmers locally too, that could supplement what we grow and then really sourcing as much food as possible from locally around here. Yeah, that's great. So I, I love that Stephanie sort of did the more gradual kind of easing in, adding a bed each year. Michelle sounds like you kind of jumped in with both feet. And I know we have listeners that fall into both camps. Um, I'm one of those people that like, once I get into something, I'm going to like go whole hog at it but then I also try to preach moderation so do as I, I say not as I do I guess so adding on gradually each year as well um and I think that's one of the things I loved about your book too is that the projects really have such a range of being great for either those who are pretty new to homesteading as well as those who maybe have been homesteading for a while and are kind of doing that approach of you know getting good at a few things and each year each new season adding on you know some new projects so kind of starting at the newer branch of things. So for those who are like newer to homesteading, which project from your book do you feel would be the most beneficial for them that you would say start here for sure? Well, I always think like everybody who has a home, a, an apartment or anything, just start composting. That is like, I know that that sounds like not that exciting and I'm always on my compost like soapbox here, but composting just makes sense. It makes sense for anybody who's starting to garden. Um, if you've got, you're going to have a little bit more yard waste. You're going to have, you know, even if you just have your regular food scraps from the farmer's market or whatever, just compost. And I think that that is just a beautiful way to start getting into a more of a relationship with the cycles of mother earth and um, just realizing how connected we are. I think that's a really fun spot to start. And it's easy. Nature composts. You don't have to like do anything to it or you can do a lot and like speed up the process. So definitely. And then Stephanie, since you kind of have added and grown onto your homestead over the years, um, thinking about homesteaders that have maybe been doing this for a while, but are looking for like a new project to maybe tackle this coming season What's, what's a project out of the book that you would recommend to them? Um, well, I really love the cattle panel arch. I probably sound like a broken record now, but that was, it was really simple to do and it's aesthetically really pretty and you can grow a ton. I usually grow um, runner beans on mine because the hummingbirds love the flowers and the pollinators love it and, and it's pretty, you know. But I've also done cucumbers. I've done spaghetti squash. Um, the cattle panel arch is um, only about 
well, it's like 25 bucks for the, the cattle panel. And then you need four T-posts and some zip ties. So it's, it's pretty inexpensive. Um, so that's a fun project to start with. And then Michelle, Michelle uses the cattle panel in a different way, way where she fixes it to her wooden um, fencing. That's super pretty. And that's a project that we have in there too. And again, another way to grow vertically, especially if you don't have a ton of space, but it looks really pretty. So you could use it for food or flowers. Um, that's one of my favorite projects. And then I also love candle making and lotion making. That's something that um, is really simple to do, but it's become like a really nice tradition, especially the candle making. Homemade candles with um, clean ingredients are pretty expensive if you're to purchase them from the store. And it's nice because you can control the scent when you do them yourself. And they make great gifts too. So that's another one of my favorite projects in the book. Yeah, I love one of the great things about homesteading and canning and preserving is that um, I have other friends that live a similar way. And a lot of times our Christmases, our gift exchange is literally, here's a basket of stuff from my farm. Here's a basket from yours. And it's so great because, you know, we all grew different things or like you said, with like the candles and soaps picked out different scents and it's just a really nice swap. And there's so much love in that basket, so much time and energy. So yeah, that's a great, great project to start with. I think Um, another project that you guys talked about in the book that I really was into and I have not gotten to do myself yet either is the maple sugaring. Uh, and it's also not something we've even, even discussed on the podcast before. So I'd love to kind of dive into that a little bit. If one of you could maybe share kind of an overview of the process, and then we can also maybe talk about for someone getting into this for the first time, obviously there's always like a rabbit hole of equipment we can go down, but maybe like what's the most basic starter setup that we could get away with if we wanted to start doing this um, and this is kind of like the perfect time of year, like sap is just starting to run. So yeah, sap is already done here in Minnesota. So that's kind of cool to oh, know that it? it's just starting there. And it is, it just varies so much. I think elevation too makes a huge difference. Yeah. On that. We're at such a high but, elevation here. So yeah. So about maple syruping or maple sugaring, um, really the process is just working with nature so wonderfully because it it's when the weather warms up, hopefully sunny, above freezing during the day, and then it drops below freezing at night. So that's when that sap really starts flowing. It's um, the the space between the xylem and phloem on the outer edge of the bark, you know, and it's just this beautiful science, but you don't need to know any of the science in order to, to take part in this. So really you're, you're tapping in um, a spile, which is like a, a little, a hole into the tree, which does not hurt the tree. It heals back up afterwards, which is wonderful. And then really important to know that people are really worried. Like, am I going to hurt the tree if I do this? And no, you're not. We've been tapping the same tree now for like a dozen years, I think. And you just move this, the taps around, the spiles around. Um, They do have to be, I think, is it two feet around? Stephanie knows these numbers better than I do. It has to yeah. be at least 10 inches. 10 inches. See, I was off. <laughs> For one spile. For one yeah. spile. So they have to yeah. be, you know, an older tree, but not huge. But the yeah. bigger the tree is, the more spiles you can tap in. Yeah. Um, so you tap it and then you wait basically for the sap to start dripping um, out of the spile. You've got a bag or a bucket that you hang on to the spile and it's just a collection process after that. So you're collecting the sap, which is about a 40 to one sap to syrup ratio. So then after you're collecting all of this, then the process is to boil it down in some, some way or evaporate it somehow. And we go over um, how to freeze and thaw in the book 
as well, which makes a lot of sense if you're living in a space where it's still getting below freezing at night, which is when this app is going to be running really well anyway. You can actually take buckets and freeze it and then thaw it out. And then the first to thaw, that first liquid off is actually more condensed than um, the original stuff. You can get to about a third of the mass um, just by doing that and have almost 90% of the sugar content still in there. So that's really a, a fun way to do. That's how indigenous people started the process years ago. I think it's really a beautiful way to work again with nature rather than burning um, fuel or wood to do that process. Um, it's just a little bit more sustainable. Um, but there's lots of other ways to do it too. And for the first probably four or five years, I think we just had an open fire with like kind of an, an old grill metal pieces on top of it um, in our stock pots. And so we could boil it that way. Um, then we've gone through a couple iterations and now we have like a barrel stove or there's a DIY project in the book about a barrel stove um, with some steam pans on there. And Stephanie does it differently. And that's one of the things in our books, we really do things differently. And so it's kind of fun to show how each of us do things differently. So Stephanie has a lot, a lot more slick kind of a process than <laughs> I, I do. Well, I would, I think your process is a lot cooler looking, but um, so Michelle and I each just have one silver maple tree. And so as she said, if you were going to tap a sugar maple, which is the ideal tree, it's, it's 40 gallons of sap that will equal one gallon of finished syrup. So people don't often realize that it's a, it's a process. So um, we each have one silver maple, but they're big. So I put in three smiles in mine. What, how many do you put in yours? Two? I put in three? two. Yeah. Okay, so I have a turkey fire set up, and this is in the book too, and we just have a turkey fire that we only use for making syrup, so we just bring it up once a year, mm -hmm. um, and so I'll collect about five, six, seven gallons of sap before we start the turkey fire, and we use propane, and um, and we'll boil it away throughout the day while we're home, and then once it boils down to about at least, you know, two-thirds boiled away, we'll bring it in the house to finish it off, and um, we're so, this is so second nature now that we can just eyeball it when it's done, when it's, when it starts kind of uh, rolling up the sides of the pan and almost boiling over and creating a big sticky mess, that's like the, the sweet spot, <laughs> and then we filter it one more time, and um, I can mine you can yours or you just jar it up. Some people freeze it. There's different ways that you can preserve it, but it is the best tasting stuff ever and also makes a great gift if you have enough to share. I'm kind of like stingy with it, but we had a great <laughs> season this year. But again, it just depends on um, the temperatures. Yeah. You have to really love someone to gift them some of that, I'm sure. Right. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, we don't really, we gift like the tiniest little jars. <laughs> <laughs> to people because it's so great. I mean, we use it in cooking um, and baking and, and everything so much that it's, um, yeah, that's my granola recipe uses that. That's why I can like afford to make homemade granola, <laughs> right? Because it's like, yeah. yeah. Well, I was going to say, you can also use the sap out of the tree. You can drink it and some people brew coffee with it or tea with it too. So that's another way. Yeah. yeah. And that maple, that 40 to one ratio you were talking about um, in Tennessee, maple really isn't as common where I moved from before Colorado and people were getting into doing like the birch syrup or um, I think there was a small company doing like a walnut syrup locally. And I know the ratio there is even higher for mm -hmm. uh, compared to the 40 to one. And it's just, it's so much to think about. It's so much work. So yeah, 
those are definitely some special gifts. So if I start doing this next year and you guys get maple syrup for me, anyone, you know, I really, really love you. (laughs) (laughs) The inner circle right there. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And my partner loves uh, like French toast and pancakes and stuff and just tons of maple syrup on it. So I I don't know that he'll be okay with us gifting any of that. (laughs) Um. So thanks for diving into that. It's not something we've talked about on the podcast before. And I'm really always looking for like new, new things for homesteaders to add that they haven't tried. And it's definitely something I want to hopefully try maybe next year. I don't, I don't know if we'll get to it this year, but um, I will throw, I'll just throw out there that it is just such a beautiful way to like bring in spring Mm. because you're outside in the yard, in the woods somewhere. And I mean, if you've got more land, it's just a beautiful way to be able to just be outside in nature and kind of just welcoming in that spring. Yeah. Outside, outside, outside. And in Minnesota, we tend to not be outside as much in the winter. I mean, we're still out there doing stuff, but to just be able to sit outside is really joyful. And then you get this amazing syrup. So yeah. yeah. So a great transition activity for moving between seasons. I love that. Um, and then, so speaking of Minnesota and your homes, um, in the, your intros in the book, you, you talked about how you've each sort of been in your current homes for around, I think, 15 years, um, growing your homestead over time. Um, but obviously your book is called Small Scale Homesteading. So I was kind of wondering, as you add things on, as new things catch your interest, um, was there ever a temptation for either of you to maybe like go bigger, to, to think about, ooh, what if we move to a bigger piece of land? And so I'm just wondering like what that temptation was like and why did you decide to stay where you are? Yeah. So I, I always thought about finding acreage there. We have a lot of farmland in Minnesota around us uh, and I used to work for a real estate agent. So I was constantly looking for like little hobby farms or whatever, but we, my husband and I both grew up in Minneapolis and, you know, we didn't want to move far away from family and we knew nothing about um, farming. So we stayed here and a few years ago I decided to just make what I wanted here and now that we have expanded on our gardens and I don't have much space at all um but it keeps me super busy and we have a little flock of chickens and stuff you know and so then I thought well geez how would I even manage more this was like a good stepping stone so I still do dream about uh, maybe someday getting like a little hobby farm outside of the city or something but I, I think we have plenty right now I'm, I'm happy now with what we have and what we've done and what we're growing and doing but I do enjoy looking at everyone's photos and I'd like to visit if anyone wants to set up a farm visit <laughs> I love it so yeah I think that's where I'm at too is that we're we do so much with what we have here. I'm on just under a half an acre and Stephanie has like maybe half of that because she's like in like even in the city more, right? And then less than that. Yeah. Less than half. Yeah. And so what we do do in our space is utilize it to the best of our abilities. And um it's been really fun to see what we can do with the community aspect of of all the things we have here. But for sure, like my parents have land and we thought for a long time about building on to like where they are and using that that way and we just kind of ended up realizing we love our neighborhood we love the friends and family that are here we're super close to a beautiful lake in the area so between that and the schools and the kids being where they're at we're like you know what we're really we got it made right here so we have friends with cabins and farms and then I know a lot of farmers just from working with them over the years um 
through my website and, and interviewing stuff with Forks in the Dirt. So I have got lots of opportunities to go visit and snuggle all the animals <laughs> to go, you know, mushrooming in the woods with some other friends. And I mean, so there's a lot of different pieces and it's wonderful because then they can come here and see what we do on a smaller scale, like we talked about. And it's, I don't know, it's been really fun to see and inspiring, I think, for myself and other people, I think, um, to see what you can do just in a regular urban and suburban lot. It's been really fun. But for sure, we used to dream about it. I don't, I kind of think I'm over that now. I like going to visit. <laughs> like Stephanie said, we're, we're always open for farm stays. Why not? <laughs> yeah. Well, and as our kids get older, I'm starting to like envision them out of the house. And it's like, well, geez, so much of what I wanted that for was to do it with you know, my daughter, Michelle has two younger, two little boys. And, you know, I don't want to do it alone, for sure. It's definitely a family effort uh, right. and commitment to go larger. So yeah, I think we'll, we'll stay. And I like the city conveniences. I mean, I'm 10 minutes from the airport. I love to travel and stuff like that. So that's kind of what keeps me around. Right. Cities. Yeah. I mean, there are definitely some great benefits, right? That was going to be kind of a follow-up question, but I think you both kind of touched on some of those benefits already with proximity to family, proximity to other things you might enjoy in the city, connection to other people there. And then also it's kind of interesting having that constraint of the space you have and then kind of figuring out like how to do things more intensively in that same space and and kind of pack more, scale more into it, I think is kind of a fun, it's a fun challenge. And for most people, and I think a lot of people that listen to this podcast, it's not necessarily feasible in terms of their other work or their commitments to family and, and other social activities, especially like if you have a, a kid that needs to play t-ball and you live 90 minutes from town on 40 acres, it's, you know, it's a balancing act. Um, and I also think, Stephanie, you touched on something interesting too, thinking about your your kids moving out eventually and what are you going to want to have to do and take care of um, without the kids there? Um you know, my mom is kind of in a similar position where, you know, the kids have been out and grown for quite a while now, and she's constantly scaling down um, in terms of what she has and what she wants to manage. So I think that's definitely something to take into account for sure. You also mentioned uh, that connection to community, and it's something you write about in the book as well. And I think it's so important. It's something we stress on the podcast too, whether you're urban homesteading or more remote, that um, this isn't something we ever do completely on our own. Um, so I wondered if you could maybe expand on that. Like, why is networking with others so important to you, um, both like in general for homesteading and maybe specifically for urban homesteading, homesteading on a smaller scale? Oh, so many reasons. I mean, I love, it's just more fun with more people, of course. And then the knowledge and the like experience and just the, the exposure to different ways of doing things differently, um, I think is they're just all huge. And then like I used to run community gardens for for people. And then this the amount of information and knowledge exchange like at those community gardens between different gardeners was really fun to see too. And I just think it benefits everyone. And if you're doing this on an urban suburban scale, you're not gonna be able to grow all your own food. And really that's neither of our goals. Really our goals are, are to grow at our homes, what grows well at our homes and what we love to eat at our homes. Right. But then there's things like corn that I'm never going to be able to grow all the sweet corn that I want to. I mean, I could rip up my entire yard and maybe we could do it. Right. But my kids want to have that middle section. Like a big part of our yard is for their fields, for their play soccer and football and baseball and everything. So 
thinking about moving, you know, when they move out, maybe that'll change later. But for right now, you know, that's that space. And um, it also then forces you to like get to know some local farmers. And I think that that's beautiful too. And then the more you get to know those farmers, the more you understand what goes into their process and then more, the more you trust them and the more they trust you. And then they'll start to say, Hey, you know, I've got this and this coming next week. If you want to, you know, get in on some of this for canning or whatever. So you, it's a beautiful way to add another relationship and to support the local economy and what they're doing because local food in general is, I think what's going to save the world. Like I really do believe that. So it's a, it's another way. I rambled on about that. What do you think, Steph? <laughs> well, you you hit the nail on the head. I mean, you said everything perfectly, but I mean, we need our farmers and we're so lucky to have year-round farmers markets here in the Twin Cities. Um, but yeah, I'd have to dig up every single garden for cucumbers, for pickling cucumbers, because we make a lot of, a lot of pickles and I can't do that or don't want to, you know, so we go down to the farmer's market for sing downtown St. Paul market and get like the huge, you know, half bushel, the perfect size pickling cucumbers. And it, it's fun. Um, but yeah, I think Michelle said everything else and right. We enjoy way. that. We don't need to do it all, you know? Right. Exactly. You don't need to do it all. And, and to do it all at the scale, like you said, you're not trying to provide a hundred percent of your food for your household. Um, and you don't need to be, you know, Michelle doesn't need to be a full-time corn farmer. Stephanie doesn't need to be a full-time cucumber farmer. It's way more (laughs) fun to get to dabble and grow, you know, 20 to 40 different things and then go get the rest of what you need and, and support other local growers, which is great. So yeah, yeah, that's awesome. I'm also very jealous of your year-round farmers markets. That that's sounds fantastic. So (laughs) they've worked hard over the last couple of years to really do that and to make the spaces nice for the shoppers um, as well, because during COVID then, you know, we couldn't be inside in the winter for farmers markets, but I think they've actually improved it a lot. And, you know, when you think about farmers markets in year round in zone four, right, we're way north, like, I mean, Colorado is similar. So there's still meats and dairy and all the canned goods and all the flour, you know, like the grains that are, I mean, there's so much. And then you've got mushrooms and microgreens and eggs. And, you know, I mean, there's so many real, really and truly food things that are available for you year round and then the storage crops. Right. And so there's a lot that large scale farmers can grow and then store better for longer than the home, than an average home person. Um, yeah. Anyway, unless you have a root cellar, which yeah. is definitely one of on my, on my dream list. <laughs> no, that's a really great point that, you know, those larger farms have the equipment, the capacity to do that storage for us, which is again, such a great benefit. And another reason to be plugged into that local community of markets for sure. Um, before we wrap up. So I love to always ask people, um, what is something that you each are maybe excited about going on this year on your homestead? It could be something new you're trying, or it could be something that maybe, you know, you planted fig trees X amount of years ago, and this might be the year you finally get fruit. Um, so what's something you're really excited about and looking forward to this year? Um, well, last year we added, we expanded our front yard to, I think we had six gardens to the front yard for flowers and vegetable growing. 
Um, so this year we're going to add an ace big pollinator, native pollinator. I'm so excited about that. Um, and then we're also going to dig up the south side of my home, which is my driveway. I have this funky old, you know, like peach rock area where it's just weeds are growing through. So we're going to dig that all out. And I think we're going to add a succulent garden and put in some cacti. I have one like prickly pear. There are three types of native, or I guess, cacti here in Minnesota. So I thought that'd be really cool and nice ode to my Western family. Yeah, <laughs> we'll see. very cool. I did. I would not have assumed, and I shouldn't assume, but I would not have thought there'd be native cacti where you are in zone four. That's really awesome. That is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I am just excited that we are we are planning to finally get water piped all the way back to my garden because it's maybe a hundred and some feet back there. It's the vegetable garden is placed in the very back of the garden of the yard where you're not supposed to put it, but that's where mine is, the sunny spot. So yeah, years of hauling hoses back and forth. And I'm very excited. We're rebuilding a fence. And so we're gonna add like water pipe the whole way too. So I'm very excited about that. Yeah. So what have you been doing previously where to to get water out there? Just having to run irrigation hose or I've been running like or... a hose like from the house all the way back there oh, and gosh. then you know winding it back up at the house and back and forth, back and forth. So that's that makes it not as fun. So I'm I'm really looking forward to having a hose feel like on the garden shed, right in the garden. That's gonna be like that's gonna bring me so much joy. <laughs> That's exciting. Yeah. So I think you both have some really fun projects and it's just um, thinking about it. I have a friend back in Nashville and they have a very small like suburban little homestead as well. And they just have these great progress pictures over the year where they'll go up to like an upper deck to the second story of the house and take pictures down, looking down into the backyard and just like, they've been there for quite a few years now and just like the progress pics of everything that gets added over time. So if you're a new homesteader or even if you're not, I would highly encourage like documenting those photos um, because it's just so cool to see. And so like Stephanie adding, you know, those beds last year and now adding to your driveway and Michelle, I know that's going to save you so much work adding <laughs> that water um, for yeah. your vegetable garden. That's really amazing. So <laughs> thank you both so much for coming on the podcast. I think your book is really great. Um, I'm excited to hopefully get it in more people's hands and have them try a lot of these projects but thank you so much and it's cool to get like a minnesota perspective too for just a zone i'm not familiar with growing in and and thanks for all the knowledge that you guys have shared Aww, thank thanks you for having sarah. us that was really fun yeah yeah thank thanks sarah i hope you guys enjoyed that conversation i know i'm really excited to try to do some maple sugaring next spring or maybe not maple but on whatever suitable trees we can find here in our area out in colorado if you'd like to support the podcast, one of the best things that you can do is to help spread the word about it. So sharing it on your social media is always appreciated. Thank you so much. You can also support us by checking out our online farm shop. We have lots of great herbal offerings in stock and pre-orders for our summer solstice box will be opening up soon. I hope your gardens are looking bountiful and that you're enjoying some amazing weather out there. Until next time, keep your hands dirty and your heart open. Mm-hmm.